Hello, it's the Grid Snap Podcast, and today we're taking Indiana Jones to the circus. Hey everyone, this is Rob Howard, world designer. This is Kip Carbone, environment artist. And today we are talking about Uncharted 4 from Naughty Dog. And this is our second full-length episode. But before we do that, let's recap last episode and tie up any loose ends that we may have. So we talked about Neo last time. And Neo is, of course, a RPG from Koei Tecmo. That's one mistake I made last week that our many, many loyal listeners pointed out <laughs> pointed out to Jeez, me. Jeez, the emails we got were... Whew, I know, yeah. It was, it was pretty harsh. Uh they corrected me. It is actually not Tecmo Koei. It is Koei Tecmo. And I guess that's my Tecmo Bowl bias that I put Tecmo first in that formulation. But anyway, there's one aspect of the world design of that game that I completely whiffed on and wanted to bring up because it's important. And that was the way they sequence the size of the caverns and hallways uh, in, in those levels. So briefly, most of the levels I've played in that game... It starts with narrow passageways that widen and then end in a large arena. And that's the kind of sequence that most of the levels take. And it's really cool because it uh, kind of allows for a recognizable sequence of events for the player. It allows a place for the designers to place the bigger demons and is a nice, recognizable, and effective design pattern. So, Kip, I just wanted to tie up that loose end because I completely forgot to mention that. And I think that was a kind of important point about the level design of Neo. Good point. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I've not played it. I just watched a lot of uh, Let's Plays of it. But yeah, I kind of noticed that that same thing. Like, you're in a tight area, then it opens up, and then you fight kind of a more challenging, bigger bigger demon. That makes a lot of sense to, like... It, I guess, it does it create a discernible... Pa- I mean, you said it kind of creates a dis- discernible pattern that you're like, oh, okay, I kind of know big fight's coming. Yeah, it sets the expectation. So it, it, it's one of those things where... In a game like that, you are under such pressure and duress that you can give up easily. But if you know that, uh, hey, this is about to end, I'm about to get through this mission, it, it's one of those things that helps you continue to see, oh, I'm in the, the big arena area, I must be close to being done. So I guess it just kind of gives you gives you hope. So yeah, I think it's a cool thing. Uh, so anyway, uh, one of the things that... I wanted to talk about in terms of our last episode and how we did. I think it went well, happy with it, but I want to go even deeper. Kip, how do you feel about our first episode? I think it went really well, far better than I expected. We kind of we just did it in one take, which was probably a first for me. Hopefully, we get to do that again tonight. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I kind of want to maybe just more free flowing with stuff and just that kind of like the chatter because we we kind of get on like a lot of good topics on stuff and maybe just let that happen more and be a little more organic and we'll start riffing on stuff and i think that's where the meat is so hopefully we get to that sort of uh chit chat and stuff and continue yeah definitely and just like anything else we iterate and improve it's kind of a game industry thing iterate do something get critique uh, implement that critique, uh, believe that it's actually the correct critique. That's always one of the, the tougher parts of, of, of... It's collaborating. You have yes. an idea, I have an idea, we put it together and we make a better idea out of that. That's right, yeah. And that's kind of the same process here. We're going to get better at this as we go, and I think we already are. So with that, let's talk about Uncharted for a bit. All right, so to talk about, just kind of to set the stage here... As I'm sure many of you know, it it feels silly to even do an introduction like this to a series this popular, but hey, let's do it anyway. So this is a series of action-adventure games in third person by Naughty Dog, published by Sony. And really, Kip, I think that when I think about tentpole, triple-A linear action games do you not this is it this yeah. is it yeah this is the, the one daddy, the big cheese the big kahuna the the top dog the triple a of triple a yeah it's it's the the, the biggest and, and best and 
uh, you know, the, the best tech, largest budgets, everything, uh, you know, cranked to 11 out of 10. That is what you think of when you think of the Uncharted brand in, in the game. So certainly something I was really excited about when it came out. I can't believe all the way back in 2007 was the first Uncharted. Mm-hmm. I was kind of astounded by that, actually. A decade ago. Right. That long, long time ago. Uh, actually, 10, yeah, 10 years ago now. Uh, but this is the, I guess, not quite the latest one anymore because Lost Legacy came out recently. Uh, but I guess uh, still one that's it's fairly recent. And we wanted to take a look at it. Uh, mainly because, Kip, I know it's a, a favorite game of yours. Yep, it's one of my favorites. Yeah. And also, again, like we said, a, a kind of pinnacle of this uh, style of, of game. Uh, and so, Kip, I'm going to tell you a little bit of what I like about this game, just as a player, not necessarily getting into the mm-hmm. design wonkery yet, but but really just as a fan of, of games. And to me, it's all about the gestalt uh, which is kind of a favorite term of mine, and it just basically means the sum is greater than uh, the the parts. And even though the parts themselves are actually quite good in this case, so uh, the parts are quite top notch, but nonetheless, the the sum or the whole of it is still uh, a greater than what you would think everything would add up to. And that's really the magic of a game like this, because if you break down, and you can do this for any game, I think, if you break down the individual components. Uh, you know, they may not actually be that interesting. Like climbing on exposed bricks for a while would probably get pretty boring if that's all you did for an hour. But when you combine it with uh, the other mechanics the game has, the cover shooting mechanics, the exploratory mechanics, uh, the soundtrack, the environments, uh, the characters, everything, it all creates this kind of edge of your seat experience that's i think really unique and and cool so as a player kip what what are the kinds of things you like about uncharted 4 and just the uncharted series in general i think you hit the nail on the head on it like just it is like the sum of the whole and it's the experience it's not necessarily like oh i love this one particular part of about the game it's the whole experience and just like immersing yourself in there and like the humor kind of there's like a, a good level of camp and kind of like just like palling around with your like, oh, you know, Sully's back, you know, and Sully's great. Love yeah. Sully. Yeah. <laughs> just like it has like those like super iconic characters that you like. You want to be around. You want to see what they do next. And I don't know, it is just like the experience of being in that universe and with Nathan Drake and going to exotic locales and exploring and seeing amazing stuff and it's so well presented you know it's like top-notch graphics and just from an environment artist standpoint it doesn't really get any better than that and you know it's just the quality bar is so high and super fun Definitely, and I think that uh, the thing about a game like this is that the characters, are, you mentioned you know, the characters, and I think that it's so hard, actually, to make characters that are as universally appealing as the main cast in the Uncharted games are. I think if you put uh, someone in a laboratory and gave them the task of, of create the, the perfect protagonist that everyone's going to like and no one will dislike... In the year 2017, uh, you would get Nathan Drake. Uh, you would get a character like that, uh, voiced <laughs> pretty by, much, yeah, <laughs> by Nolan North. Uh, and if if you went into the lab and said, "Give me a lovable rogue that's a little sketchy, but is but you just can't help to love him anyway," you would get Sully. And and so yeah, the, the characters are are so relatable, and you bond with them over the course of all of these games. And so. Really, like we've been saying a lot in this introduction, it's it's such a high achievement. So with all that said, let's now put our 
kind of game dev caps on and dig into some of the specific things we like about the design and art and other things. So we're going to start with actually kind of the middle part of the game, or I suppose it's the uh, kind of early middle, I guess. And that's, middle, yeah. yeah, Scotland. And first of all, I love seeing Scotland represented in, in game form. I mean, I'm sure it's a... You have some bagpipes <laughs> playing over this. <laughs> that's right, yes. Uh, I'm sure it's it's a stylized sort of Scotland. I'm sure it's not like exactly Scotland, but it does give that kind of virtual tourism that I actually really like about Uncharted. Uh, I think Uncharted 2 took uh, me to Nepal, which I've never been there, and, and being in a video game is, is the only way I'm getting there for the time being. Uh, so being in Scotland uh, is is super cool. Really enjoyed it just from a uh, just from a player perspective. But wasn't it all like train spotting? <laughs> no, not no, definitely a little different than that. Uh, but you know, just kind of starting with the level design. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about was really the second combat encounter mm -hmm. in Scotland. There's actually a really small one. You you drop in and there's like two guys there. And it's and you know you're just gonna waste them right because you're Nathan Drake and actually it's Nathan Drake and Nathan Drake's brother Sam I believe Sam Drake yes uh, and not Sam and as in Sam and Dave different Sam uh, but uh, so yeah you take out those first two guys but then the second encounter is really cool because we talked about last week this idea of kind of understanding what the design rules are so you can break them and they break. A design rule of a sort here with the second encounter what happens is you approach an area that just obviously looks like it uh, fight's gonna break out and especially in a cover shooter like this when you see perfectly square boxes yep. crates yep. kind of uh, you know perfectly positioned and just the That's right the distances tell. gunfight coming up you know there's like a parapet of stone with a ledge that's going to look over it and, and it just screams out there's going to be a fight here it looks like a, a combat arena and so you steal yourself for that you're like i'm ready it's it's like the the, the movie dirty work when they get in the bar fight and and uh, Chris Farley's by the, the jukebox. It's like, it's fighting time. You know, I'm going to pick a good tune. And uh, it's just kind of like that. And except that you go there and no fight happens. Like, there's no fight at all, at least not for a little bit. And you actually get a chance to explore that area and do some stuff first. And I just love that kind of subversion of expectation. It surprised me as a player. And it's one of those small things, Kip, that. You know, the average player probably doesn't even notice it, but it affects their experience, I think, in, in a positive way. Um, so that, you know, and then, of course, the fight does actually occur a little later. Uh, so the combat space is used. But, you know, I just really enjoyed uh, that subversion of, of expectations. So, Kip, in Scotland, I have to imagine there's certain physical features in the environment that they depicted that were interesting to you. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think that was the, f that was like the, the level, the the game and the level that launched the basalt cliffs that are so prominent now. Trendsetters. Yes. And uh, boy, do they lend themselves well to 3D games because they're, you can make them pretty low polygon and they just like, you can make them into like crazy configurations. They are pretty accurate, like looking at reference of basalt cliffs. They look almost fake because they're just like, uh, like hexagonal cylinders that are, just stacked super neatly and they create they're like they really lend themselves well too to the two two to uh there's a lot of twos um to like handholds and like grabbing and rock climbing and whatnot so it works well for nathan drake to locomote around and like create some great areas for him to, to climb up seems like an awesome win-win when you have yeah. natural features they kind of yeah they kind of adapted it like hey what you know what what's like be cool for him to like jump around on and that lends itself great to it yeah i see a bunch of wins there it's like here's a natural structure that is simple to model or at least can be modeled in a simpler fashion that actually works really well for gameplay because it it's very malleable well. yeah so that that's a huge win and it's actually something you would see in scotland so yeah. win 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 all the way around yeah and i think overall in uncharted 4 they do a really good job of making kind of where you need to traverse and like your, your handholds of like where you need to go, like very blended into the environment and a lot more like realistic kind of in the first one was really one of the first times you'd ever seen anything like that. So it 
they were kind of it seemed a lot more heavy handed, like, oh, there's like a yellow pipe or something or a white pipe. But now they're much more integrated in and it looks very natural. Like when you would just see a like a screenshot or something, it's not blatantly obvious, like, oh, I go there or something. It, 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 it makes it a much more beautiful game overall aesthetically. Yet you say that and what's really fascinating to hear you say uh, that about the readability of the what you can grapple on is that they achieve that yet at the same time it seems more clear to me what I can grab onto than Uncharted 1. I actually played the HD remake of Uncharted 1 just to remind myself of what that game was like and it actually seemed like that in Uncharted 4 it was more obvious what I can grab but yet I think you're right at the same time that stuff is more natural in the environment so they kind of achieve this dual uh, thing where I can see what is uh, grabbable in the environment more clearly, but it's actually more of a natural part of the environment at the same time. So that, it's a really interesting uh, achievement that probably this is what happens when you can iterate on something. Yeah, after four games, now five. The games. four plus yeah, iterations on it, they've certainly gotten it down to a science. So. So let's talk about rock slides because rock slides are a huge part of the Scotland area and and there's there's environment stuff, there's world stuff, there's scripting stuff. The, the rock slides kind of have everything that we like to talk about on this show uh, compacted into one kind of thing uh, here because it, I think it starts even before Scotland. You're introduced to this mechanic that if there's like a ramp and there's rocks in the ramp that you're going to go into a slide animation and... Nathan will go, whoa, and you'll slide. So that's introduced right away. And then you learn that sometimes there's going to be a, a pit o death at the end where if you fall down, the screen will go black and white and, and someone will go, Nathan! <laughs> yes, that's right. And so uh, you learn that you need to jump and grab onto something or you might need to use your grapple hook. Grapple hook is off the chain cool, by the way. Well, it's pretty cool. slick. Like they yeah. that that's another feature that it's just a feature of the game. It's not like, hey, this is a grapple hook game. It's just like, oh yeah, you can do this now with the player package, and it's pretty amazing and awesome. Yeah, I think a game with a smaller scope uh, that would just be like the whole game. Would be. <laughs> it, it would be Nathan Drake grapple hooker, you know, grapple hook guy. Uh, but in in the, in this game, it can be naturally included in his set of abilities because the scope is so large uh, compared to a lot of other games. So. Uh, yeah, but looking at the the ramps again, so you get introduced to that mechanic very early in that simple form, and then at, it's really in the Scotland portion of the game that you're introduced to the idea that you can actually move horizontally on the ramps. Now, they have a little bit, I, I hesitate to say cheat, because it is a legitimate way of teaching the player, but they have a, a nice little backup system. They have a companion character uh, in the early games it was Sully, and in this game, it's your brother, Sam, and if you kind of dawdle and, and mess around, Sam will do the thing and be like, Nathan, do this. It's like this. So that's kind of a nice, uh, but they, it's a nice kind of fallback, but they don't over rely on it. it you, have, you actually have to stand around a while for Sam yeah. to do it for you. I, I do have to admit, in the case of the horizontal movement on the ramp, uh, Sam had to show me that, right? Because I didn't quite understand. I don't fault the game. That was my fault. That was my dumb self, right? Sometimes the player is just dense that day, right? And it's not. The game design has nothing to do with it. Uh, and it should have been super clear. But that's why you have something like a, a Sam character to show you. So that gets introduced. You can move horizontally, which means you can have point A on one side of the ramp, point B on the other side, and you can traverse across and get there without falling as long as you're careful about it. So that's kind of step two on the, we're going to teach players how to use these ramps. And then the last kind of thing that they teach you before they, they have you put it all together is we're going to now put objects in the middle of the ramps. And I understood that immediately. When I saw that, I'm like, oh boy, I can grab onto these. That's pretty cool. It, and it, it works super good. Like you go on the ramp, you start to slide down. And if you're close to one, you hit the jump button. And obviously their designers and programmers kind of gave some kind of, I think, magnetism to the objects because it's pretty easy to attach yourself on them. 
uh, which which is again that's part of the gestalt thing. Like there's so many little things like that in games that are that are helping you along, that are kind of behind the scenes, like aim assist and and all kinds of things that are kind of making you feel awesome. Even in a game where, uh, like Uncharted, where you do have to have some motor skills to get by. Um, and so that's kind of the third and final stage of the ramp, is you can jump on objects, grab onto them, and jump off of those objects. And then it all comes together in that kip, that end sequence, when you're going now. Uh, kind of mild spoilers, I guess. Not major plot spoilers, but I guess I should say we are discussing the game in the middle here. Uh, but nothing, I wouldn't say no major spoilers, no, uh, you know, Luke, I am your father type spoilers or anything like that are forthcoming. Uh, so they, that end sequence, when Sully comes in with the plane and you have to get to the plane in the water, yep. rem- reminiscent of Indiana Jones, uh, the first Indiana Jones movie, except a, a giant ball isn't chasing you, uh, that uses the ramps and uses the combat and uses the traversal, the you know, yep. grappling on... And it it all comes together, and it's just it's everything that we talked about with Uncharted. Uh, that that sequence, getting the Sully's plane, you're you're shooting guys in cover, you're grabbing onto things, you're climbing, you're going down the ramps, you're grabbing, you're you're making miraculous uh, saves with your grapple hook. You'll you'll jump, and then like you have to like hook something. And these things aren't hard to do, but you can certainly mess up and die. And what I really like about that sequence at the end. And this is where I get into that bottom layer, the scripting layer, is that the player is totally fooled. And and the thing is, like, I'm fooled, even though I'm not fooled, right? Even though I have the ability to kind of peek behind the curtain a little bit, uh, I don't care. It's fun. I I don't care that there's no actual time pressure to that sequence, right? There's no timer. You can just stand there, and unless you get shot by enemies, if there's no enemies to shoot you, you can just stand there. And I'm sure Sam will probably say, come on, we have to go. And then Sully will probably say on the radio, get a move on, Nate. Yeah, they do a lot. They like kind of ramp the music up. And you're kind of, you're, you're, you have like an impetus to want to make it as fast as you can, but you can take your time. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're fooled, but you're willingly fooled, right? It's yeah. a suspension of disbelief thing uh, that you're that there's this dramatic chase and you have to get out. Because actually, the the problem with actually including a timer in games is that that is placing an enormous stress on the player. It's really quite demanding. Sometimes I like to think of game design in terms of how much demand you put on the player. You are panicked at that point where you're like, like "I got to get out of here right away." And so, like, if you did have a timer, this would be it would be completely unfun, and it wouldn't it would take you out of the experience. And Kip, you worked on maybe the ultimate uh, series of all time for timers. That's of course the Metroid series, which is famous for the timed escape sequence, right? Uh, and I mean, I'm not sure. I, I don't personally know anyone that's failed uh, the, like the original Metroid uh, time sequence when you have to get out. Uh, like I think many of the Metroid games have done that, but it just adds this layer of stress that I think actually doesn't always need to be there if you fool the player with all the combination of, of elements. Yeah, and they do a great job of that. They do a great job of that. Where it's. It's just fun, and you're like you want to be in that experience of like, oh, I got to get there, and so it works really well, really well. And it has the right amount of everything. It has like the right amount of gunplay. It has the right amount of you doing crazy acrobatics, you know, rock sliding, jumping, roping, scrambling on your fingertips across a cliff, and it just makes like a great experience. And then kind of the relief of like, oh, I made it to the plane. Yeah, you know, back with Sully. Let's get out of here. You know, we found out where we need to go. And, you know, it, it just kind of like puts a nice end to it. It's super fun. So, Kip, did you notice in Scotland uh, things about the contrast of of sort of environments where uh, certain where they may have done certain things to encourage certain player behaviors, whether it's combat or exploration or anything of that nature? Yeah, so I th- I think at this point is the first time they introduce the grass. Well, I guess 
grass is like a big part of the game and like it, you can hide in it and you can use it to your advantage for stealth like sneaking up and you're completely invisible against uh the enemy when you're in there um that's another one where you're like you're obviously like sticking out of the grass and if they were a real person they would see you right away but uh it is fun and um so anytime you kind of see an area that's like grassed up, you're like, okay, I can stealth around there. But again, it's a subtle element that's integrated in the environment and it's not like hitting you over the head, like, you know, start using stealth dummy because that's what you got to do. Um, and then you do, I don't know, is there something you want to point out of like, hey, this was like a thing I saw of... Yeah, definitely. So, like, let me just riff on the the grass thing because you're definitely right about that. The grass it's introduced. I think the like grass, a lot of things man, in the. the grass. Uh, that's right. Yes, yeah, grass. This game is grass. It's legal now. It's that's legal. right. Yeah, we're in California <laughs> after all. Like, uh, but uh, <laughs> so grasses. I think a lot of things in the, in Scotland, like the mechanics, are introduced near the beginning of the game. But Scotland drives them home. Actually, like I think I remember grass. Uh, somewhere in the beginning section, but it just sort of taught to you and then kind of left alone. In Scotland is where it really actually matters. It's really, I think the comment I made to you is I've been playing through the game, and of course, thank you very much for letting me borrow it, incidentally. Uh, sorry, Naughty Dog, you've gotten plenty of my money, though, for lots of other stuff. So, uh, you know, it's uh, really where the game sings, right? It's where all those elements are really together completely for the first time in, in, in their fullness. And so with the grass... Um, it's really cool to see uh, how it kind of uh, partitions the playable space. And, okay, I can look at the grass and see where I can go, which helps me to plan a stealthy approach. Because one of the trickier things about stealth is is the planning aspect, and you need to give the player enough tools to be able to actually think ahead a little bit. And just knowing where the grass is helps you do that. It's very visible, very obvious, I wouldn't say Uncharted is a, a stealth game primarily. It's a secondary mechanic. And so I certainly, as a player, don't expect to completely stealth. Maybe this is my own impatience, Kip. I, I would stealth like halfway through an encounter. Yeah, it's not... You don't, you don't need to stealth, but you can use it to your advantage. And it's kind of cool sometimes. Right, yeah, yeah. It's, it's basically like you, you do it and to kind of get a better position, to get a yeah. more advantageous... Uh, position on the battlefield. You kind of scout out stuff too. Right. They're, they're not giving you a tranquilizer gun to like put everyone no. to sleep. And, you know. Can't Fulton anyone out in this one. That's right. Unfortunately, no, no, no Fulton boss. No Fulton. Uh, so yeah, the grass is really cool. And so I, one thing, the logbook is a really interesting kind of meta thing because you know Nathan Drake probably draws almost as well as some of the concept artists we've worked with in the game industry he might draw as well as the concept artists at naughty dog i don't know <laughs> yeah i wonder why that might be <laughs> this whole uh grave robin thing don't work out he can hack it as an artist i guess and just as a humorous aside i mean he does these things so quickly like you'll now i know it's a gameism <laughs> and i should talk about this a little bit too like this idea of a gameism. i wish i could draw that fast the grass thing and you said before kip is Oh, it's it, in real life. You'd be able to see someone pretty obviously. This is a great example of an effective gameism that, like, we just buy that. I, I really do think you do. Like, you might know that, you might laugh at it, but it doesn't it, it doesn't make me feel weird? Like it's unrealistic somehow. It's just one of those things that, as as a player, I think you accept because you enter, as we say, in kind of game design wonkery. You've entered the magic circle, and you just accept that rule that. In grass, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in grass, you don't see me. Uh, and that's just accepted. And Assassin's Creed does a lot of that kind of stuff too, where you, you have these stealth mechanics where they have no business working in real life, but you, you accept it because it's, uh, you know, it's a game. And, and games design, a lot of it is that balance between what is an acceptable gameism and what's just not going to be bought. You know, it's not going to be even remote. Uh, acceptable so uh so just looking ahead a little bit kip uh one of the things about uncharted that i think from an art environment art perspective that they're able to do well is contrast areas mm -hmm. like from from kind of area to area in the game and really what i wanted to ask you about is that contrast between scotland and madagascar the the next section so 
you know, as if if you were given a a huge massive massive budget and and a, and a spreadsheet program and say plan out the environments for a game, like how much of that contrast would you have? You think? Um, it, it, like Scotland, like the color palette is very muted and it's really cold. There's like snow on the ground and it. Uh, it's primarily you're in rock areas and then you kind of go into like some ice cavey things. And then later on, it kind of introduces some, this is another little bit of a spoiler, but some piratey stuff that's more wooden. And then uh, like it's, it's kind of a very muted palette. But then when you get to Madagascar, it's super colorful right off the bat. And it just, it, you can tell like, wow, this is like hot and sticky kind of like you're, you're in Africa and it's, you know, a million degrees and you're just like covered in mud and probably stinking and just been traveling for days and it's way different and it's a nice like okay you're cold and bam stuck in the tropics and then it's a nice juxtaposition of the two and like once you've kind of like finished that level and you go off the other one it's a, it's a transition another thing that came to mind also is just like I have a pretty strong sense of how long it would take me to create like a, a single kind of fully fledged combat encounter, like not talking about one of the small ones, which one or two people, but one of the main, okay, you're facing at least several waves of, of enemies and, you know, just to, and just to let people know kind of the workflow in the video game industry, how this, this functions as a designer, I'm not making it completely from stem to stern i am making the functional version of it in other words the ugly version of it right like it's going to be uh it's going to function there'll be things to shoot and all the gameplay things will be functioning but it'll be white and gray because there'll be no real assets in there yet or whatever and and for something like a typical uncharted encounter that might be i suppose the better part of oh i don't know uh two or three days to get you know just it roughed in uh, and, and then, you know, to really perfect it more, but I would say just a couple of days to kind of really get a large scale, good single encounter kind of implemented and tuned up. So to art an area like that, like maybe that second area in Scotland, that kind of typical, uh, encounter, like how much time does it take an environment artist to make that look polished? However much time you're given. That's <laughs> <laughs> I can't lock the loaded answer on that one. Right. I don't know. I, I, I don't actually have any idea on how long they got to do it. I know they're like the best of the best and they're all kind of badasses there. And I don't know. I've got some people I know that work on it. Uh, I never ask them like, hey, how long do you get to make anything? But um, I would imagine, again, it's like iterative. So they would probably work in passes of like you know getting in kind of like the the structural elements and then i'm sure there's there's so many details overall in uncharted like you go to like i mean i guess when you get to like for example like when you get to madagascar in the market there's like a guy that's selling fruit and there's someone else who's selling meat and there's someone else who's selling spices and then there's like all there's like 15 20 different spices and each one is perfectly accurate to what it is so i'm sure like that's not someone starting on one stall and working right <laughs> left right, to yeah. right on that i'm sure they that's like you know started as like a block in cube of like this will be the you know the citrus stall and then it'll get updated you know as those that art comes in or whatnot but um and you know i think that what you point out is in the video game industry it's these tasks are almost never linear in that in that way and because i know having worked with you uh for a while now i know that when push comes to shove if something's happening and like oh we need this thing built uh because this person's coming and needs to see it as happens in, in the video games a lot uh when i used to teach those were like speed level exercises i would give and i'd always invent these scenarios uh to anyone that i used to teach trust me these scenarios really do happen in in real game dev life i know that you can bang something together it looks awesome pretty quickly but as we both know there is making something that looks good and then there's that last 10 5% whatever number the you last put on the last 
Yeah, it's it takes the hardest. percent of the time. Yeah, it is the hardest to get. Like, it's actually not very hard as an experienced developer to make something pretty, pretty good. It's uh, it's actually quite hard to make it awesome. That, that you know, that's the the polish, and that's actually it takes a lot of effort to get that. So, and that's they kind of have that across the board on everything, and just it's. It's truly spectacular, the game. I can't, like, <laughs> I sound like a broken record every time. I'm like, ooh, it's, it's spectacular. But it well, I think really you might have used awesome or great. So awesome I think or great. Gonna, right? <laughs> but it gets, and it gets better as the game goes on. That every, is so every, true. every time yeah. you're like, how could they make it better? Yes, they've made it better. <laughs> like, it, it I, I don't want to spoil anything more for people because it really is like, you should play it and, and experience it for yourself. But these levels are great and amazing and, I can't say enough about them, but like the game gets better and it gets more visually spectacular. You know, this just popped in my mind too, Kip, that just like Neo, history, real history is employed in really interesting ways to give context to the game. And I I really like that when games do that. And I I think it's probably no great surprise to me that, that both of us have picked games that do that to some extent. And obviously here with the kind of pirate history, uh, these were real people. And they kind of add an alternative history thing to it where, you know, Wikipedia says this happened. Was the, was the main pirate guy, was he a real guy? Was he? Uh, I think so. Hold on. Let me, let, let me ask the, the research department. Let's check the research department. Ask Siri. Um, right. And actually, let me just, this, this is totally uh, what, what you had, what you do in a podcast. Hey, Siri, who is Henry Avery? Henry Avery, also Avery or Avery. Sometimes erroneously given as John Avery was an English pirate who operated in the Atlantic. Okay, that's good enough. Thank you, Siri. Yep, it was real. Okay, Okay, Siri says it was real. But, uh, <laughs> yes. But, no, it's really cool they did with, with uh, Sir Francis Drake in the first one. And I think all of them, or most of them, have done that. Where they take kind of an alternative uh, historical spin. They kind of do there an is, alt history. Yeah, there is, like, an alt history and then an element of the supernatural that gets in. And it's done in a a cool way that you're like, oh, yeah. And it's like, it kind of, it it just is, like, really very naturally done and it's not like oh this is you know a game with ghosts you know or it just it, it just drops in right away and you're like oh sweet this is great you know? and of course we all Forgetting. know the, the elephant in the room of course is that Indiana Jones is the big influence here but I, I think they've made it their own at this point like it probably started as cool let's do our own take on Indiana Jones and just as an aside I find this to be true about video game IPs you would think that the easiest thing in the world would be to take a popular movie or comic book or whatever and make cool game. And that sometimes happens, but what seems to be more successful is if you take an IP that's inspired by it, because there's so much baggage with IPs. Like there's the IP holder. So now you have three chefs in the kitchen. You have the developer, you have the publisher, and you have the IP rights holder. They all get a say. And it's surprisingly hard to harmonize those things. Yeah, kind of video game, movie tie-ins and those are never they're they're always they they kind of have a stigma against them and sometimes they're successful sometimes they're not um but yeah that's a whole different ball of wax yeah definitely and and each one of us have worked on ip games in in our career so we we kind of know kind of the pitfalls of that and how uh surprisingly uh tricky that that can be but it can also sometimes be be super cool so um kip i wanted to hit on some kind of supplementary uh, topics, if you will, uh, now that we've talked a good bit about Uncharted 4, things that are kind of tangential uh, mm-hmm. but related. So first, as just a side note, I wanted to mention the the audio is just spot on in, in this game and in these games in general. Soundtrack's amazing. Uh, the voice acting's obviously world-class, uh, best-in-class, really, when you think about the voice actors uh, that they're able to get and the performances they're able to coax out of them. 
And, uh, you know, really, when you think about awesome game audio, like those explosions in Scotland, right? They get louder as you get closer. That is, yeah. One kind of uh, cue that you're given. It's like, hey, okay, I'm progressing in the level. Like, I'm getting closer. I could hear the blasting of Coastline or something, whatever that company is that's run by Rafe. And like, okay, yeah, okay, something's going to happen. And then even... You know, you're kind of given a cue of like, okay, well, we might blow the whole place up, you know, if we keep blasting. So then the explosions increase at from there. Yeah, yeah, super cool. So one thing I wanted to talk about too a little bit is at least for me, I was trying to think, what's the closest thing I've worked on to an Uncharted game in, in my career? And of course, I haven't worked on anything quite like it. Um, I've worked on AAA stuff, but not necessarily third person action adventure AAA, with the exception of uh, Batman Arkham Origins, which is not quite the same type of game, but I was thinking about how it might relate to something like an Uncharted. Obviously, that's more of an open-world concept than a linear concept, but it is third-person with kind of these exploratory elements, obviously all melee combat, uh, because that's, you know, how Batman rolls. Uh, but I was doesn't thinking, kill anybody. Right, yeah, technically. I mean, he'll, he'll concuss them in ways that would just, like... Uh, the CTE at the end. You've been game. concussed. Yeah, it's like it's it's one of those gameisms of the Arkham games. You can just pound someone in the smithereens. Actually, it has that in common with my other one of my other favorite series, the Yakuza games, where you can just like curb stomp someone brutally, and then and then they're like they're okay afterwards, basically. Uh, but yeah, the the challenge with those, and I worked on it in the capacity of a, a support studio, you know, good old blue collar game development, uh, is you can't tune the experience the way Naughty Dog can in an open-world concept in a game like that. You kind of have to have everything be sort of all right, and you can never make any one thing super, super, super awesome because the player can always visit these areas. They're always there for you to be in, right? And so you have to, you know, you kind of have to tune it for every possible situation. Naughty Dog has this big advantage in, in a linear structure where they can give a, a super highly tuned experience that's just full throttle all the time. It is like an intimate, tailored experience every moment. And the moment by the moment is highly choreographed. And that, again, it's the, the contrast and affinity of they know when to like create a moment of rest, like after something crazy's happened and you kind of get a second to breathe. And then they know how to like ratchet up the tension when there's like a big conflict that's happening or coming on. They, they do just a great job with that. Yeah, and I would be remiss at this point not to bring up kind of what's being talked about uh, on the internet, on blogs and forums and chat rooms and uh, Facebooks and Twitters and, and all the rest of it in terms of linear action games and their place in the industry right now. Uh, there's a lot of chatter about uh, these games are hard to make. They're very expensive. It's hard, therefore, for publishers to make a profit on them. And when you play an Uncharted game, I mean, you know, clearly no expense was spared. Uh, you know, you just really see that. So I personally like to spend a lot of time thinking about, like, can we streamline this? Like, first of all, let me just say, there's always going to be, I think, in the game industry, Uncharted. Uh, you know, when you think about the relationship Naughty Dog has with Sony, it really helps them sell systems. Uh, they, it's a showcase for their tech. It's a showcase for their uh, console, for their brand. And I think you'll always have that. But for everybody else, uh, what, what can you do to make uh, a tuned cinematic experience uh, that is maybe 30% less expensive or whatever the number has to be to where more publishers can take a chance on it. Um, and that's a tough nut to crack. Uh, so I don't know, Kip, I, I look at the Yakuza series from Sega, which I'm a, a huge dork for. And I think they do as good a job of anyone is, is creating these games that are, you know, especially if you're a developer and you kind of know what to look for, it's clear clear that they are, you know, much less expensive to make than Uncharted. But I think you get enough of that experience that you don't necessarily feel cheated. Um, I feel the same way about the Just Cause series from Avalanche. That's actually a fairly small staff. It's like about 70 people uh, make those. <laughs> and uh, by far and away, it's probably the smallest staff you'll see making games that compete in that space. That's an open world game. 
not quite linear, but open world. So they're competing with Grand Theft Auto, with Fallout, with uh, Skyrim, with all these other games in that in that area, and they're doing it with a relatively small team. Uh, and one thing I wanted to point out is the movie Dread. Uh, I, I don't know if you saw that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, that's like movies have kind of mastered this art of like making a thing that is less expensive than other things, but you as the viewer don't know it unless. Okay. Now we're getting to, now we're getting some interesting, interesting meat here. Uh, yeah, this is, yeah, it's, this is, yeah, go on, go on what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just say, uh, cause I'll just say that with dread, it's like they, they, they put it in that one building. Right, and so they don't have to show the entire mega city. They're not, yeah, they're not explaining the whole. This is the Drud- Judge Dread universe. Blah, blah. They're just showing like a day in the life of what Judge Dread, like what yeah, he does, absolutely. like he gets up and he kicks ass, and this is way. Yeah, there's no, uh, there's absolutely no like uh, Bruce Wayne and his parents uh, yeah. kind of thing with, with that one. What's they his backstory? Right what was his, what was his origin story? What right, that? it's such a wonderfully simple, cool story uh, that's so artfully told uh, in the in so well. I mean, Keith Urban is dread. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, and and so I feel like games might have. I am the love. <laughs> that's right. Yes. I, had, I had to do it. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's, see, that's that's not the, the key. The, urban, the right? listeners would have requested it anyway. Right. Um, maybe now I'm, now I'm starting to flake out a little bit. Is it Keith or Carl Urban? I might have to ask uh, Siri on that again. Is Keith um, Urban that Keith Keith Urban? One of them's the country. He's star. a country western. Right. So we're gonna be editing the crap out of this. No, I think section. we should leave this in. Leave this in. Yeah, this it might great. be good. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, it's Carl Urban, right? That's the, uh, that's the yeah, we're going to go back to Siri here. Siri, uh, we, so, this happens at work. Uh, yeah, right, all at the time. At least 10 times. Hey Siri, who is Carl Urban? Carl Heinz Urban is a New Zealand actor. Yep, He's that's the guy. That's the Carl guy. Carl Urban, I thought it was, yeah, okay. Yeah, Keith Urban, that's, uh, the country western he, he does both music, country and western, kid. I think. Really? Yeah, okay. That's right. So, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, Dread's a great example of, of, at least in movies, how they can do it. And I do truly believe, I, I think some of the comp water cooler conversations we've had about this, don't you get the perception, Kip, that people just don't think you can make certain types of games inexpensively? It's a, this one, I mean, it's a tough nut to crack. Like, how do you make a product that is competitive with these giant behemoth big budget flagship titles with a smaller studio on a smaller budget like how do you how do you make that kind of like how do you make that feasible and financially like uh profitable and i think taking a lot of artistic license on it and maybe presenting it in a way in which it doesn't compete with those but maybe it still has some of the same elements but not you know like hey let's compete with the top you know people that you know graphic you know graphics wise or something like let's just do something that's like completely our own thing that's cohesive and you know it, it's beautiful and good on its own but it doesn't need to be like oh this is we're gonna compare this to call of duty or compare this to uncharted um, or we're going to tell the story in a different way that maybe relies on, you know, something else other than having like an army of engineers that can, you know, flesh out all these amazing systems, um, kind of taking alternate courses that would still, you could still make a great product that is super fun and a great experience, but it doesn't, you know, you're not trying to compare like. I guess apples to apples, like, okay, you know, this one, you know, this one is, is clearly better. Like, it's just, it's, it, you kind of, you need to make your own original thing um, that still has those elements that the other game has, like the linear, uh, I'm flaking out now. No, no, it's just fine. No, no, I think those are all good points. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think part of it is, is having some faith in the players. I think that the assumption and of course, this is we're now wading into stuff that's so far above my pay grade that it can't even be measured by scientific <laughs> instruments accurately. But I would just say that at least my inclination is that I think that we don't give players enough credit. That if if not every if if a game isn't just produced to the nines every single second, every aspect in this genre of of, of linear action 
uh, kind of cinematic linear action that gamers will you know not support. I, I I'm not sure that's true. I, I think that a game can really nail certain key elements of, of what this experience is. And, and that's part of it too, is, is distilling down what, what is really important, right? I think that uh, with certain uh, games, you can kind of break things down into uh, if cover shooting is what matters, then you focus on that. If the traversal is what matters and you can still get that gestalt I talked about, but you can do it uh, with other ways. Handheld games have long done this, right? If you play, uh, if you play something like uh, Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker on PSP, I mean, that is very limited hardware. And I think a very compelling story experience happens. Actually, that game might have the second or third best story in, in the whole series, actually. And it's done mainly through motion comics uh, that are voiced. And I think that's pretty effective. So I think there's things that that, uh, that can be tried. But to be clear, I, I don't think, I, I think there's always a little bit of panic when something negative, and we, we don't talk about negative things on this show, uh, so I, I, you know, I won't mention it. But, you know, there's been some industry shakeups, and it's got people worried about this style of game. I think that's maybe a little unwarranted. I think you'll always have uh, these types of games out well, there. I think like a lot of people see this as what every game should be, right? Like, it should be Uncharted, but it, it's just one genre and one particular game that's its own thing and it could live like that but i think even just from like a business perspective it doesn't make sense for everyone to do that it, there's plenty of room and if you pick your battles you can figure something out to kind of do something alternative that would be they could just it could be as well received in its own right so all right, yeah, yeah, totally. And I think with that, we'll wrap up our conversation. I, I think it was a great conversation, Kip. I think it's definitely going to, I think of all the podcasts we've ever done together, this is definitely in the top two. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. It's either one or two. I don't know which one. Right, yeah, definitely. Uh, so anyway, let's uh, remind our listeners uh, exactly how they can uh, get, a, you know, get a hold of us for feedback or, or learn more about what we do and all that. So for me... Uh, rohogames.com r-o-h-o games.com and uh, that's my portfolio website you can look at uh, level design documentation you can look at my blog where I write about things and uh, other stuff that you can that you might find interesting um, Roho Games on Twitter I am Roho Games on Facebook please give me a reason to update that Facebook page It's I think it's got like a minuscule amount of, of followers I'm doing a little better on Twitter I think and I am Rojo Games eighty on Instagram, or just Rojo Games. Can't remember which one of those two. Should be pretty obvious uh, which one is me. Uh, so, and my email is rthoward two, the number two, rthoward two at gmail.com. Kip, how can our listeners get a hold of you? You can get a hold of me at nervouspixels at gmail.com, and you can hit me up on Twitter now. And All right, and you could see my portfolio. Send me a message on ArtStation, and my handle is NervousPixels as well on there. All right, awesome. Well, thank you for listening, and until next time, stay on the grid. <laughs>